Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, why don't we put our hands together actually and welcome everybody watching online and in Kingsgate Leicester as well. Love you guys. Great to be sharing with you today on this uh, significant weekend. Trust you've enjoyed this weekend so far. Maybe you've used it as an opportunity to celebrate with friends and family. Maybe you've had a street party or two. I don't know. Anybody tried the King's Coronation quiche yet? I don't know if anybody's had that. Uh, it didn't really seem appealing to me. I'm a more of a coronation chicken kind of guy, I think. But, um, you know, um, uh, at the end of the day, we get uh, another bank holiday, don't we? I'm getting used to these bank holiday uh, weekends. For us, us in the UK, apologies, our international uh, community. But uh, it's another great weekend. And uh, yesterday, I'm sure you'll agree, was a significant moment for our nation. And um, you know what struck me about the coronation was the beginning of it. The first words you might have noticed spoken in the Abbey were this exchange between this young boy and King Charles. And it sets up perfectly what I want to share with you today because I wrote it down actually. This boy approaches King Charles and they're, they're talking about Jesus. And the boy says this, he says, As a child of the kingdom of God, we welcome you in the name of the king of kings. Charles then responded by saying, In his name and after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. This is our God. He is both king, king of kings, and servant. Service and kingship. Now you might think this is an interesting kind of paradox, how can God be both a servant, a suffering servant that we'll look at in a moment, but also king of kings as well. But we see these two characteristics coming through the whole book of Isaiah, um, but particularly what we're looking at today in chapter 53 and chapter 9, they come through very strongly, these two characteristics. And we see here Isaiah, um, this book that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, this Old Testament prophet writing hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, declaring these prophetic promises about how God is both king and servant. It would have been astounding to the audience at that time because they would have seen these two characteristics as mutually exclusive. But as Dave shared last week, we need to look at God both through the lens of God's greatness but also his love as well. To have that focus, have those two things in focus as we look at God. Because in Jesus we see these prophetic promises fulfilled. These two characteristics aren't mutually exclusive of service and kingship. They go hand in hand. Jesus is our willing servant. He willingly gave totally of himself for us on the cross. And because of that, he is our worthy king. Worthy of our allegiance, worthy of our trust, worthy of our very worship. Amen? He's our willing servant and our worthy king. So let's look at these two characteristics in turn. Our willing servant. You know what's interesting about the, the chapter 53 of Isaiah is that here we see in the Old Testament probably the clearest depiction in the whole of the Old Testament of a distilled kind of concentrated summary of the gospel, the gospel being the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ, what he did for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Here we see this clear depiction of what Jesus came to do. And get this, it was written 700 years before it actually happened. And it's so vivid, it's so accurate, it's so exact. 
And even as I was preparing for this message, digging into this passage, I had a holy reverence and an awe, just afresh for the Word of God. Yesterday at the King's coronation, you'll have noticed, against the backdrop of all this priceless royal regalia, it was the Bible presented to him, described as the most valuable thing that the world has to offer. And I could not agree more. Because when you look at passages like this, you see this is the pearl of great price. This is a jewel that we are beholding today. And I think this is why Isaiah writes this as a song, known as one of the servant songs. And it's a song because songs move us. Music moves us. It shapes and molds our hearts. It, it, it dispels our fears. It gives us hope and faith. It's why worship is so powerful. And I, my prayer for us today is that this wouldn't just be a truth that we would know. It's a song for us to sing. It would move us. May we be moved afresh by the cross of Jesus Christ. Isaiah begins this song by looking at what this suffering servant looks like. Interestingly, he says this, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. This is incredible. God came to us in the person of his son, Jesus, and he came to us as an ordinary-looking human being. I just find this so humbling, so astounding. Jesus came. You know, we don't see this in the New Testament, any kind of descriptions of Jesus' appearance. Yet here we see this man described as just an ordinary-looking human being. It's incredible. But not only that, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. You know, it doesn't mean that Jesus was like a you know, party pooper or just like, you know, really morbid all the time. He knew how to have a good time. He was fun to be around. It was exciting to be around Jesus. But such is God's heart for humanity, such is his love for us. He entered into our mess and it brought him sorrow. Not for himself, he was sorrowful for, for us. And this is the wonderful truth of of God and who our God is. He came to us and he knows what we are going through because he's identified with us. He knows what you are going through. You might feel like you're the only person going through what you're going through right now, but Jesus can come and hold your hand and look you in the eye and say, I know those, those hopes, those fears, those insecurities, maybe even deepest grief that you are going through. Jesus identifies with you. He knows what you're going through. He says, I'm with you in this today. And I don't know about you, but that brings me much comfort. He identifies with us. Now, this month, May, that we are now in is, of course, exam season, end of academic year. Uh, so those of you who are doing exams over the next month or so, then praying for you guys. I remember those uh, times, I would say fondly, but um, I think I've just about been healed from them, to be honest. But, uh, you know, exam season's always a pretty crazy time, isn't it? And um, what helped me, though, get through was actually having colleagues and friends who were going through the journey as well. You know, you could study together, laugh and cry together, probably all at the same time, you know. And it helped actually going through. You know, solidarity is powerful, isn't it? But as good as that is, I still had to take the exams on my own. I still had to go into the exams and do it on my own. You know, the wonderful news of the gospel is that this man of sorrows, this son of suffering, doesn't just come and identify with what you're going through. He doesn't just stand in solidarity with your sorrows. He saves you from your sorrows. 
And this is the amazing truth of what Isaiah portrays here. He lays it out, the gospel here. Firstly, starting with the root, the cause of, of, of our sorrows. What has caused this? And he says it in this way. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Here lies the root of all of humanity's problems. We have sinned against God. All of us, each and every one of us. Nobody's excluded here. We've turned to our own way like sheep wandering astray. None of us would admit to being perfect, would we? We've all messed up. And there's this chasm, therefore, that's been created because sin has consequences. The consequences of sin, of course, are separation from a perfect, holy God. Uh, death is the wage of sin, it says in the New Testament. And so there's this chasm that's been created between a perfect, holy God that we've heard about over recent weeks and us, a fallen humanity. And no matter how hard we might try to bridge that chasm, we can't in our own efforts because only perfection can reconcile us to a perfect God. So we were stuck in our sin. And the good news of the gospel, though, is that this amazing God, he came to us as a suffering servant to become that bridge that way back to be reconciled with God. We couldn't reach him, so he reached out for us and made a way for us to be reconciled with him. He took upon himself what we deserved, you know, the wages of sin, which is death and separation from God, so that we could experience what he deserves, which is eternal life and communion with God. Isn't this amazing, this truth of what God has done for us? He's become a suffering servant for us. That's why Isaiah says this, surely he took upon himself our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He willingly did this for you and for me. The picture here is of somebody loading themselves up with baggage, someone else's baggage, carrying that away for them. Jesus can come and take away your baggage today, loading it upon his back and carrying it off. Pierced for our transgressions. The actual original language here meaning pierced through. And can you see how this is a stunning prophecy? Hundreds of years before it happens, Isaiah is talking about a one whose hands would be pierced through with nails, whose feet would be pierced through with nails, whose side would be pierced through with a spear. And we see how Jesus was mockingly, mockingly kind of coronated with a crown of thorns being kind of placed and pierced onto his head as well. He goes on to say, the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his stripes we are healed. All of our sin was laid upon him, all of our punishment. You know, he took that upon himself willingly so that we could receive peace. Don't we? We need peace. We need peace in this world, peace with God and peace with one another. And again, another stunning prophecy here. By his stripes we are healed. Jesus whipped and beaten and broken so that you and I could be made whole, spirit, soul and body. Isaiah goes on to say, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was all laid on him, past, present and future sin. All of our failings, all of our mess ups, all of our regrets, all of our shortfalls laid upon him. He took it upon himself and paid the price for you and for me. It's incredible. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and cut off from the land of the living. For the disobedient sheep that go astray, the perfect spotless Lamb of God was slain for us. 
and he died on the cross, and our sin was put to death with him. And I don't have time to go into it now, but I'd encourage you to read Isaiah 53, because there's even more detailed prophecy about the death of Jesus, how he died, how he was even buried. It's incredible. I'd encourage you to read it this week. But of course, that's not the end of the story, because Isaiah prophesies that death is not the end. He says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servants will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. He's of course prophesying about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, defeating sin and death and evil once and for all, and making a way for all of us who put our faith and trust in him to experience the same, eternal life in all its fullness, starting now and forevermore, death becoming a doorway into an eternal hope, an eternal future, eternal life with our amazing God. This is our God, a suffering servant for us. He's made a way for us to be saved. He's the one who came to us, as we know in the New Testament, the Gospels, and he said to his disciples and to you and me, I come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so an exchange can take place, I believe, for you and me today, because we can come to Jesus and come to the cross. And because as a servant, he's met our deepest needs, he can meet any need that you have today. You can come and bring your failings and experience his forgiveness. You can bring your pain and experience his peace. You can bring your hurt and experience his healing, your despair for his hope, our death for his life in all its fullness. This is what he has done for you and for me. It's why Paul, writing in the New Testament, singing another song about Jesus, puts it this way. He says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, an ordinary man in appearance. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you, but this excites me this morning because he is our willing servant. And because of that, what Paul is saying here, he is therefore our worthy king. He is our worthy king. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word king. Maybe King Charles after yesterday. You know, uh, often we could think of, you know, maybe royalty, regalia, kind of wealth, status, um, importance, influence. Um, maybe even thoughts of skepticism might come, you know, uh, skeptics, skepticism about authority, um, maybe. Um, you know, thinking of kings of old throughout history, some of them have been tyrants, haven't they? Lorded their power over people. And uh, one example, not in history, but in film history, is, um, is from Shrek. Uh, I love the movie Shrek. Anybody else like the movie Shrek? <laughs> and uh, you might know Lord Farquhar, who um, has a great line in Shrek where he is addressing his subjects and he puts it this way. He says, I'll try and do an impression. Some of you may die, but that is a sacrifice I am willing to make. <laughs> um, and you can be kind of sceptical, can't we, about uh, authority and think, are these people really worthy of our allegiance? Are they worthy of our trust? Are they worthy to be followed? But you know, King Jesus is different. He's worthy of our everything. Because unlike Lord Farquhar, he, he comes to us, King Jesus, and he says, none of you need to die 
because that is a sacrifice I have already made. Amen? This is what King Jesus has done for you and for me. And speaking of kings and kingdoms, another great movie. It's one of Freddie's favourites at the moment. We're watching it uh, on repeat <laughs> as a result. Is The Lion King. Anybody else love The Lion King? It's a great classic movie. And uh, other movies like it, I think, are, are successful because they have this great plot line, don't they? Where in the beginning, you know, there's a kingdom that is flourishing with the right king on the, on the throne. Then the next part of the story is that there, something goes wrong. You know, darkness and evil enter the kingdom and um, things go bad. The next chapter moves on that there's a, there's a battle, you know, between good and evil. And uh, if it's a successful movie, uh, good will overcome evil. And uh, the end of the movie uh, story will be of a, you know, right king on the throne again and everything flourishing. And I think, you know, the reason why these stories resonate with us is because there's something in the heart of all of humanity that longs for redemption, you know, we're aware, aren't we, that this world is good. There's lots of good in the world, but we're also aware that there is evil in this world, that there is death and destruction. Something's gone wrong, and it can, and it can get quite dark at times, can't it? I think, that, you see, the reason why these stories are, are so powerful, I think, and, and resonate with us is because they point towards the ultimate story of humanity, the Bible story, where we see in the beginning there was this kingdom, there was everything that was flourishing, life was good, but then sin and evil enters into the world and things got dark. And it's actually against this kind of pretty dark backdrop that in chapter 9 of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies about this king, this one who is going to come and he's going to put things right again. It's often quoted at Christmas time. You might be familiar with it. Um, it says this, for unto us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's a picture of royal authority, uh, him being the head, the king of all kings and governments. Goes on to say, there shall be no end to the increase of his government and of peace. How good does that sound? This, we so need peace. He shall rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time forward and forevermore. You see how Jesus fulfills this prophecy here. Jesus born, a child born of a virgin. A, a child, a son of suffering, willingly given for us. And we read in the Gospel of Matthew how Jesus began his earthly ministry by preaching, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, the king had come to save us. The king had come to rescue us. And through his life and through his death on the cross and his resurrection, he defeated the powers of evil and sin and darkness once and for all. And he ascended to the Father where he's sitting right now at the right hand with all authority in heaven and on earth. He poured out his Holy Spirit. And since then his kingdom has been expanding and increasing. And one day he will return to rule in his fullness where his kingdom will come in his fullness and everything will blossom. Everything will be put right again. The kingdoms of this world may pass away, but the kingdom of God will last forever. Amen. We know the end of the story. When we look to Revelation, we see this, this amazing picture of King Jesus described in this way. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What does this kingdom look like in its fullness? 
Well, it's this in this way. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is where? Seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. The best really is yet to come. There really is a happily ever after with King Jesus. Our King who wore a crown of thorns is now crowned in glory. And one day he's coming back and everything will be put right again. Isn't that an amazing thing to look forward to? You know, this childlike longing that we have for a a kingdom where everything flourishes and everything is, is perfect, it's not childish. You know, it's not just some longing we have that's never going to be fulfilled, that's like a movie or a fantasy. Somebody who got this more than most was an author of the epic fantasy novel, uh, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, J.R.R. Tolkien, puts it this way wonderfully. He says, every fairy tale we tell has at its root a core element of the ultimate story, that is the gospel. But the thing which makes the gospel so compelling is that it, like a fairy tale, sounds too good to be true. But unlike a fairy tale, is actually true. Isn't that amazing? It's true. The best really is yet to come with Jesus. He is our King of Kings. And so knowing you know, that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies in Isaiah, knowing what is to come, what does it mean for you and I in the here and now? What does it mean for us today? Well, I'd like to take us back to Isaiah 53 because this song ends with an amazing prophecy about what God will do because of what Jesus has done. And he describes it in this way. It says, He will divide and give him a portion with the great kings and rulers, and he will divide the spoils with the mighty. Now, that word mighty uh, can be translated many, meaning us, meaning everyone, numerous. All are welcome to be part of this kingdom. It's why if you fast forward um, a few hundred years to Acts chapter 8, you'll see an Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of reading what? Isaiah chapter 53. All are welcome to come and be part of this kingdom. And we all get to share in the spoils. That's what Isaiah is saying here. You know, on this coronation weekend, it's good to remind ourselves that we might not be part of the British royal family, But through King Jesus, we get to be part of the ultimate royal family of God. Amen? (laughs) Isn't that so good to know? In the New Testament, we're described as believers of Jesus, as a royal priesthood, co-heirs with Christ, adopted into his family. It means that when we follow Jesus, we become part of a new realm, a new reality, a new kingdom, life in all its fullness, beginning now and lasting forevermore. Isn't that amazing to know? He shares the spoils with you and I today. We can receive the spoils with Jesus today because of his victory. He's the King of Kings. So the question is, for all of us, who is on the throne of your life? When you look at your life, is it clear that it's under the kingship, the the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Are you part of this kingdom? Maybe for some of you watching for the first time or you haven't been involved in in church in a long time. For you, you might say, that's that's probably not me at the moment. For others of us, you know, we might say we believe in Jesus, but still there are areas of our lives that are under our dominion, under our control. We haven't yet relinquished to his authority. Things maybe like how we handle our our money, our our relationships, our speech, our conduct. Are are our lives lining up with the kingdom values that we've been looking at over the last few weeks of God's love, his justice, his righteousness, his, his mercy? 
But you know, for all of us, can I encourage, wherever we are at, I think we can all experience an increasing measure that the, Jesus being the king over every area of our lives. You see, we can make him the king because, because he's our willing servant, because he's, he's, give, he's met our deepest need. It means that he's worthy of our trust. You can trust this Jesus with your heart, with your needs. Because at the end of the day, he's poured himself out totally for you. He's held, held nothing back for you. The proof of his love is in his wounds. The proof is in his wounds. So he wants to meet your needs. But because he's the king of kings, it means that he is able also to meet your needs. He's able to fulfill the deep longings of your heart, to truly satisfy your heart, to give you life in all its fullness. And so can I encourage all of us Make Jesus the king of your life. What might it look like for you to have Jesus king of your life? Maybe for, for some of us, it's the first time we may actually know who we really are, <laughs> why we're here, what we're living for, where we're going. For others of us, it might be that we need to experience an increasing measure, the, king, the kingship of Jesus, because you know, we're struggling at the moment. We're, we're going through life and there are anxieties, there are fears, there are worries, there are doubts. Uh, maybe we're going through really hard times and we need to know afresh the sovereignty of Jesus, the sovereignty of God to secure us afresh. How many of you want to be more secure in the ups and downs of life? What might our prayer life look like if we get a fresh revelation of praying in the name of King Jesus, praying with his authority, praying for his kingdom to come in increasing measure in and through our lives? What might it look like to serve this King Jesus to pour ourselves out for him, to serve him, to serve within the family of God, to meet other people's needs because he's poured himself out for us and we can move out in his power to meet the needs, not just within the church, but in our communities as well, to pour ourselves out and to serve other people. What might it look like as I begin to wrap this up, for us to worship God together because we're going to worship now. What might it look like for us to just afresh with reckless kind of abandon, worship and give our everything to our Jesus. Not just on a, on a Sunday where we sing together, but throughout our week. Live a lifestyle of worship and honour to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's worthy. He's our willing servant. This is who our God is, our willing servant. And he is our worthy King. We're going to respond together now wherever uh, we are gathered. If you'd like to just to stand with me, we're going to sing together now. And we're going to take communion together as well in a moment. But before we do, I'd just like to pray for anybody watching online here and anybody in the room. For you, you would actually say, you know, hearing about you know, Jesus being king of my life, I would say at the moment, that's not me. But you're wanting to make that decision today. Maybe for the first time, or maybe as a way of coming back to Jesus today, to recommit your life to him. Well, you can do that right here in this moment. I want to give an opportunity for us to do that. And church, I just want to lead us all in praying a prayer so that nobody feels exposed at all. And at home, you can, uh, or you're watching online, you can pray along with this prayer. I'm simply going to read it out line at a time and you can repeat it after me, just as a way of inviting Jesus into your life, inviting him to become king of your life, to experience his life in all its fullness by his spirit. And so let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and uh, let me lead us in this prayer. And let's all pray this out together nice 
and clear. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you love me. I'm sorry for going my own way. But today I choose to turn to you, to give my life to you. Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Cleanse me? Set me free? I receive your forgiveness now. And I look forward with faith. Now part of your kingdom. Experiencing life in all its fullness. Now and forevermore. Amen.